Hi everybody, I'm Mike Hancock, the Chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group of Companies, and today we're going to be talking about what is reality. So this is something for the people that are live online with us today, I'm going to expect uh, quite a lot of input, so they're not going to get away with anything less than lots of input. Let's uh, jump into the presentation and then let's see where we go from there. So what is reality? And I'm not going to leave this playing for too long because this 3D tunnel that I'm taking you through is uh, maybe your concept of reality. So I'm going to go straight to the chat and I'm going to ask this question. So everybody there, and if you're at home listening to this later on, maybe you want to jot this down. What is reality? So there's no framework around that question whatsoever. So I'm going to ask people to go to the chat and just launch in and tell me firstly what they think reality is. For Philippe, it's probably a Melbourne coffee. Ian says, uh, whatever I perceive it to be, interesting. Reality, Philippe, the perception of our mind. Hmm, interesting. Okay, anybody else out there? People just don't type as fast as Philippe and that. Paula says, perception, perspective, a sense of self. Kirsten says, my perception of the world. Okay, so there's some really good comments there. And I'm not going to relate any comment to anything that you said or spoil the surprise or the great reveal later on in, um, in our uh, call today. So let's move on. So here we have a picture of a bunch of people walking across a crossing together. Now, as you can see, these are probably people all just on their daily duty here. We've got a guy with a backpack. I'm explaining it for those people who aren't watching visually. We've got a lady carrying a handbag. We've got a family there. You know, they're all sort of around about the same age, same nationality, et cetera, et cetera. So you could look at this and you could think that basically, um, you know, Everything is pretty normal there. This is a normal way of doing things. And these people may be all off to work and school and so on and so forth. Um, hi, Philip. Lovely to have you on the call. Philip says reality is an undefinable concept. And Ian's asking if it actually resists or get, exists or resists. We'll get back to that. So this is the fascinating thing I find about reality is that essentially your reality can be incredibly different than a person who is right next to you, even your greatest loved one. And I think the best example of that I can give you so you understand this is that many years ago, I was on a plane flying from A to B. I can't remember what the flight was. And I was watching a movie and the guy next to me who I had no idea who he was, but he was a businessman, probably an entrepreneur, same as me. He was watching a movie as well. The movie that I was watching was a movie called Marley and Me. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's Owen Wilson and I think Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, Ian's got his thumbs up. And uh, they're, um, they're looking after their dog, Marley. And by the end of the movie, unfortunately, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to let it go. Um, the, uh, the dog passes away. Now, I have to tell you that as an animal lover, as a dog lover, um, to me, that was one of the most emotional movies I've ever watched. I was crying that hard that I literally was, my nose was running. I was trying to wipe it on the napkins from the, the airplane seat. And I was like deeply connected with this movie. I was sobbing. That would be the best way to say it. The guy sitting next to me was watching the latest Mr. Bean movie and he was laughing hysterically. Now, here's, a, here's what the reality was. We were both sitting on a plane, both going to the same direction, both probably similar styles of people, yet our reality at that very moment was incredibly different. Luther says reality is in the eye of the beholder, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Here's another way to look at reality. Now, there's a lot of words on these, uh, on these spirals here in front of us. But this is the work of Esther and Jerry Hicks. Um, and it's, it was brought out initially in their book, uh, Ask and It Is Given, around about 2006. But I've never found a better way to explain this. This is the emotional guidance scale. 
And what they say is there's a range of emotions that we feel. And the number one emotion that we can feel is joy. So if we are feeling joy, we are literally at the top of our emotional path. Because when we feel joy, it's empowerment. We feel love. We feel appreciation. We feel all of those things. The second top emotion is passion. And I know that my good friend Don Tolman says that, you know, the, the seven keys to good health, they're very simple things like fresh water and whole foods and sunshine and walking, but one of them and non-toxic relationships, but one of them is passion. And Don will say that, you know, it doesn't matter, even if you've got a major health disease, you can honestly quite often cure that disease if you're a passionate person if you have a passion for life, if you have a passion for living. And I was talking to my Chinese doctor um, recently, Pierre, um, Afrikaans Chinese doctor, and I was talking to him about this topic and he said, he said, it's so fascinating. He said, because people who have terminal cancer, who have a love for life and just tend to disregard it and just go bugger that, I'm just gonna live, tend to live longer than people who go into the spiral, oh, I've got terminal cancer, et cetera, et cetera. In his experience of 40 years in the medical field, just getting on with things, I'm not saying don't cure it, but try to cure it, but just getting on with it and continuing your passion for life gives you a much better chance of curing a disease. Yet, when we look down the bottom of the right-hand chart, we get to really the bottom of the downward spiral. And at the bottom, we've got fear, grief, depression, powerlessness, victim mentality but i think where i want to focus is sort of in the mid-range of the emotional guidance scale here so just on the slight top end of this scale we have words like contentment hopelessness hopefulness sorry and optimus optimism yet on the slight downward spiral we have boredom pessimism frustration, irritation, and impatience. Anybody experienced any of those three words in the last few years, right? And here's the big word of the year, really, which is uh, number 11 on the scale of 22 here, overwhelm. And this is a big one. I mean, I, I rarely meet a person now in business who's not in some level of overwhelm some of the time. And... You know, this is, I think, something that we, is this your reality? So you don't have to put this in the chat. If you feel like you want to, that's great. But have a look down here and at least write down the word that you're feeling right at the moment. Which one of these words is it? I'm going to read it out for the people that uh, are not seeing the video here. And I'm going to go from the bottom up. So fear, grief, depression, powerlessness, victim insecurity or unworthiness, jealousy. Then the next one is hatred, revenge. <laughs> We've all felt like doing that sometimes in our lives, right? Anger, discouragement, blame, worry, doubt, disappointment. Felt that one a few times. Overwhelm, frustration or irritation and impatience pessimism, boredom. And then when we're moving to the upward spiral now, so we've passed the mid-range into contentment, hopefulness, optimism, positive expectation or belief. And the top three, enthusiasm, passion, and joy. So which one of these are you sitting in now? We've got some people in the chat, so let's have a look at what they say. Um, so just so it doesn't go out into the public forum, I won't read out your names, but uh, I've got overwhelm, however, mixed with positive expectation belief. Now, that's an interesting one because what means is given the day, you can fluctuate quite a few things on the scale. Enthusiasm, that's a great place to be, right? One of the top three. Impatience on the right, optimism, positive expectation belief. Again, Somebody who, depending on the day, can waver quite a bit. A range of feelings from joy to from joy to frustration, mostly an optimist outlook. Knowledge, 
optimism, frustration. Okay, so we've got some great words here and thank you so much for putting them here. So the good thing is that we've got a couple of people that are feeling really up the top of the emotional scale and we really have nobody that's feeling towards the bottom of the downward spiral, which is what I would expect because the people on this call are very conscious beings and they're very conscious of their own feelings and emotions most of the time, as am I. It doesn't mean to say you don't get upset and doesn't mean to say you don't have days where you go into those things. But if you look at it as um, biorhythms, and the biorhythms is, is your innate way within your body to manage your own homeostasis at a point of time. And so there's no point if, you know, your cat got run over or something like that. You love your cat. Why you should walk around going, oh, I'm so joyful today and so wonderful, blah, 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 right? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, that's a day where you could be angry, you know, or you could be discouraged or something like that, or you could just be disappointed that, you know, something like that happened. Depending on your level of, um, I think, maturity of emotional intelligence because if we look at emotional intelligence for a minute and i just want to segue for a second is that you know when something bad happens we generally go to blame but when something good happens we generally go into sort of a greed sort of area so it's interesting they're the two sort of extents of it you know greed being at the top blame being at the bottom but after a while, let's just say, you know, the cat got run over. First, we're in blame, stupid driver, et cetera, et cetera. Poor cat, blah, blah, blah. Then after a few days or maybe a week or so, you know, we're able to go move from blame to acceptance. Now, the problem is for us emotionally intelligent is the distance between blame and acceptance. The longer it is, the less emotional intelligence. The shorter it is, the greater the emotional intelligence, generally speaking. Um, and there's a level to which you can go, oh, the cat got run over. I'm good with that. Done. That's probably not emotionally intelligent. That's probably uh, something else. But, you know, there's a time limit on all of these things. But I think what we're experiencing through the comments that I've seen come up on the screen is that people are mainly in the middle here. Um, Paula, spiral dynamics is a hugely interesting subject and journey. It is. And I studied spiral dynamics many, many years ago. This is actually not spiral dynamics, but it sort of links up with some of the works on it. And uh, Philippe says, I find equanimity great. So that's a very, very good word, Philippe, um, equanimity as well. So I think my point being here in terms of what is your reality is if you just finished every day for the next month and wrote down the word that had been your primary word, for that day, you would start getting a sense of what you're creating in your reality. Now, I could appreciate that, you know, if I went out on the street and I started interviewing people, you know, that are homeless, that their, their words may be worry, doubt, blame, discouragement, some, something like that. I can understand that. But what I can't understand is that if I've got, you know, a person who's got a job, or a family or some loved ones or a relationship or a business that they want, et cetera, who is in overwhelm, disappointment, doubt, worry, blame, and discouragement all of the time. And yet it's relatively common. And this is what, you know, we hear that employers are really dealing with at the moment in trying to get people back at work. People are worried, people are in doubt, people are discouraged, and that's their normal homeostasis. Whereas maybe a few years ago, they were content or at the very least bored, which is a few, um, a few levels up from where they are now. So consider doing this exercise of writing down to yourself where you are at the end of each day. And, you know, if you like one of our participants here who today picked number three, enthusiasm, if that's your running word for the next month, sir, uh, Mr. M, I'll call you then um, from that, I think that that's uh, a phenomenal because once you get into these areas of enthusiasm, passion and joy, and you're there and it's been quite a while, it takes a lot to knock you down. 
And that's the thing. Whereas if you're in sort of the contentment to boredom area, you know, or maybe a bit of hopefulness, a couple of bad things can really knock you for six. So keep this in mind. Maybe take a screenshot if it serves you to, to do so if you've got this on, on the video. And now we'll move on. And one, two, three, click. And here's the move on. Here's another new type of reality that we're being challenged with and the more and more of these um, going on. This is Earth.2 you're looking at. You can Google it and find out all about it. Uh, basically, as it says there, you can do everything in the virtual world that you can do in the physical world. You can buy shares, you can trade currency, you can buy land, you can start a business in this world and you can trade. And so this is Earth 2. So if you don't like living in, you know, uh, Sydney, for instance, then you just go to Earth 2 and buy a property on the, at the Casa del Sol in Spain. And there you go, you now live there. You um, get out of your job as a uh, IT executive and you become a um, pleasure cruise operator in a small business in the Casa de Sol. You can do that on Earth too. So this very much is, as they say there, we are building our own 3D, one-to-one -one scale digital Earth. So this is what's coming, all built in the metaverse, as you could expect. So now we're going to see in future, as we've seen in movies going right back to I think it was Arnie in Total Recall from 1992 or something, we're going to see that actually the future, we can have these alternative lives that are in things like the metaverse. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Steve says this, in the sport context, I've always tried to explain teens and kids, I now coach 80-20 attitude to skill. 80% being attitude, 20% being skill. Absolutely. Our performance is largely determined by our attitude, state of mind, which fluctuates rapidly on a day-to-day -day basis, rather than our skill, which gradually improves, increases over time. Steve, I find that to be so um, correct and so well thought through a statement. And it fascinates me because in 2008, which is a long time ago now, um, I was hired by New Zealand cricket to be a mindset coach for New Zealand cricket. And I didn't last long, probably, well, I actually lasted two years, but to me that wasn't long because the current captain at that stage and the current coach placed no value on mindset. They thought that mindset coaching was a waste of time that they could be standing in the nets practicing or on the ground playing, which was fascinating to me because there were only two players at that stage who really engaged mindset coaching. One of them was Brendan McCullum, who ended up being captain, became one of the greatest New Zealand cricketers of all time. And uh, the other one was right at the end of his career and that was his last season. So um, it was fascinating that New Zealand cricket at that stage was really in a downward spiral. They were definitely at the bottom of the spiral. And these days, I think they're very, very competitive because it's changed, Steve, just as some of the things that you're talking about mindset is so much more important than it was before. So we'll come back to, to reality in a minute. So if that's reality, I want to ask you this question and please throw this in the chat for me. So what is time? So let's have a look at things that you think might be time. Yep, Steve says here, same in SA cricket context and names a couple of people here who probably were very mindset orientated. And I can imagine that, um, you know, these couple would be very mindset orientated, as would probably AB, De Villiers, etc. So what is time, folks? Um, lovely, Natasha. Natasha says uh, chronological time or chronos time is an agreement. Uh, Philippe says, time is our perception of change. You guys are very deep today. This is great stuff. I think uh, some of you should be running this uh, instead of me, and I should, should sit back and listen. Anybody else like to chip in on what is time? Very funny, Luther. He says, my age. 
So, you know, that can be exactly right. I was on a call with, uh, with uh, a person just before this when they were saying, you know, they've got a lot more creaks and groans than they ever, ever had. Um, Ian says, for me, the best time is Kairos. Ian, come on, un unplug and explain that for all of us. Well, I think it's that the Greeks have two different words for for time, uh, Kronos and Kairos, and Kronos is the clock and the calendar, and Kairos is the moment or the impact. And I right, find that I there are times, right. yeah, and there are times I find I can do something in 10 minutes or an hour that has an impact for days or months or, or years. And so I measure my time a little bit differently these days. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is a very good thing that everybody should take from. And, uh, you know, we had the beauty, luxury, whatever you call it, um, good fortune, et cetera, a little earlier this year for, for one of our clients to say to us, guys, you remember that time you sat down with us and told us to do this? Yes. Well, that was five years ago. We did it. We just made $17 million because of that advice, you know? And that advice probably took less than a minute to give. So, you know, that's a great example of, of your Kairos timing and well done. Uh, Paula says time is energy. Very true. Um, Philip says a persistent illusion of events passing. Oh, you're deep, you guys. This is great. And Kirsten says time is an illusion that we have to stick to to keep us in check. That's a very interesting way to look at it. Are we be kept in, in check? Okay, so you guys pretty much know what time is. So let me ask you this question. So what is flow? Let's see if you can get your head around the concept of flow. So I've asked you what is time? What is flow? So let's see what flow is. Oh, we've got our first comments racking up here. Aren't you guys at home that can't comment excited to hear what people have got? Philip says, oh, Ian says, Kairos time. That's a great answer. Um, Philip says, peak state. Paul says, us state, a peak state from Natasha. So a peak state. Very, very interesting. That's great. Really good uh, comments. And uh, let's have a look at, oh, we've got one more there that I just cut off. So let's go into that. Uh, Philippe says, flow, focus out of perception of space and time. Did you Google that? And Linda says, it being in the zone. Great, Linda, thank you so much for that. I think you're going to enjoy uh, some of the answers here. I want to give you this, um, before we go into it, I want, just want to explain this next slide. I'm going to show you uh, a brief clip and then I'm going to show it to you again. Sorry for the people who aren't watching this live, but I'll explain it to you. So let's, uh, let's go. So this is the time paradox for you. What we're seeing is just a slow motion of a woman jumping up into a man's arms. Now we're going to have a look at it again. So we're just going to stop it there. I'm going to go back a little bit. So, and now I'm just going to take you through this slide by slide. So you would say right now, the woman's hand is going onto the man's shoulder and the man is reaching out to the woman. Let's just go forward a bit. Now the woman's hand is on the man's shoulder. Let's go forward a bit. Now the woman starts to jump. Now the man sort of positions and gets down low, ready to pick her up. Now he picks her up. His hands are on her legs. And we finish this by him being able to lift her above him there. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Now, I, I used a grainy old movie style of thing here to illustrate this because if this was an old movie and that movie was say filmed at 40 frames per second then what you would see during this movie is if you looked at each frame you might see this image then you look at the next frame and you might see that image then you look at the next frame and you might see that image and then you look at the next frame and you might see that image what you don't see in the film is you don't see everything between it. So time, the paradox of time is that time is not consistent. Time is actually chunks. Time is chunked, just like 
a movie. And when you get to look at flow, flow is also chunked. But I'm going to give some examples of that as we move into our next slide. So good luck pronouncing this name, Mahali Sikzen to Mahali. That is the slowest way I can pronounce it. He is the grandfather of flow. He's a Hungarian psychologist and scientist who did during his life over 70,000 case studies into the concept of flow. So let me bring flow to you in a very, very simple way. So somebody has gone to the chat here, let me just see what they're saying. Um, sad to see of his passing. Absolutely, he was a great man. Thanks, Philip. So let's have a look at what his basis of his life's work was. This is what all those 70,000 case, 70, case studies came down to. Dr. Mahaley said, more joy equals more flow. Now, fascinating for some of you on the call who um, say that you're mixing between overwhelm and, you know, sort of uh, another state, um, which is a good state, but you move into overwhelm. Here's my comment for you. The more you can move up that spiral that we looked at before into joy, which is the top emotion, the more you will move into flow. So you have very, very little chance of moving into flow until you are more joyful than you are now. That's a bugger, isn't it? Okay. So I like, um, actually, Linda, you said the flow is in the zone. And I think that that's being a very, very good description that we can utilize here. So if you want to be more in the zone in your business and life, relationships, money, etc., guess what? You got to focus on becoming more joyful. So if more joyful means doing less work, guess what? You should do less work. Yet we're all addicted to thinking work harder is going to create more flow. It's not the case. Here's the grandfather of flow, 70,000 case studies, is basically telling you the exact opposite to what we've been taught from our education and experience. We've been taught we've got to work hard to get anywhere. That's not necessarily true. As Ian said before, when he used that term that I'd literally forgotten, which is Kairos time, you know, the impact in time. Thank you for that, Ian. If you look at the impact of your time, that is what will create you much more flow. So contentment, that's a good word um, there. Contentment is a good word, but it's also in the middle. So moving from content to joy. You know, there's lots of times I've been content with my life, but I think, you know, sometimes people look at you and go, there's an underlying sadness there within that person. But they're content. But are they super happy? So more joy equals more flow. Let me give you an example of that. This is an example that I've always used to explain flow to you. So before, if we assume that time is a fractal situation, and, you know, it's not assume we, we know that time's a fractal situation. So if we look at a movie, an old movie, and, uh, you know, something from the 1950s or 60s, for instance, something that was filmed on film, and it was filmed at 40 frames per second. So... If we took every second frame out and we ran it at the same time, now we're going to see a fast movie. Now we're going to see like we did in Charlie Chaplin movies. Um, that's going to have less frames per second. If we double the number of frames per second to 80 frames per second, that movie is going to slow down. So this is the best way that I can explain flow to you. Is that if you look at this um, soccer match in front of you, You'll see that the lady in red here is going for the goal. The goalkeeper's in play here. Um, a defender's in play. Everything's in play. Now, the chances are that if this lady was had the skill of a Wayne Rooney or a David Beckham or a Ronaldo or anything like that, those people are simply more in flow than the average players. So at this stage here, 
The person who is going to win this is probably not the person with the most skill. It's probably the person who is more in flow at this moment in time. And to be in flow means that let's just assume our goalie here, which is the, the lady in green, who's going for the ball. Let's assume that she is processing normally. So what's normally mean? Well, essentially, if you watch an old movie and it's at 40 frames per second, but you can't see the frames in it, then your brain's processing at 40 frames per second. So I'm going to use that as an example. So let's assume she's uh, processing at 40 frames per second. But let's assume that the lady in red has increased her processing because she is now in flow. So time for her is going to slow down. That means that more frames per second are going in. So she's going to have 80 frames a second going in, twice the amount of input as the goalie. So what she can do is it'll, the goalie to her will literally look to her in her mind. And Steve, you might be able to comment on this because you're an ex-professional sports player, is the goalie will literally look to her like a Tai Chi exercise, meaning the goalie's movements will almost slow down. And if you've ever been in a, in a near miss in an accident or something, a near death situation, people explain that time slows down. That's because flow kicks in. Right. And it's the reason why you didn't die is because you're in flow, which got you out of that situation or allowed you at least to position in the car or whatever for that situation. The first time I remember that, I think I was 10 years old and I stole my friend's bike at school and he was chasing me down the street. And I came to a T intersection, I couldn't stop and I hit the gutter on the other side. Didn't do much for me or his bike, but I remember going over the handlebars and time slowing down. So um, that enabled me not to go over to the fence into the canal, but actually hit the fence and injure myself, not be killed. So this is really the concept of flow. Uh, Philippe says, that happened to me. I got hit by a car, time slowed down to super slow motion. Guess what? That's exactly what's happening to this lady in red who's going for the goal at the moment. And that's why Ronaldo is one of the best soccer players in the world or A.B. de Villiers was one of the best cricketers in the world, or Elon Musk is one of the best entrepreneurs in the world. This is the concept of flow. And now I want to get super into quantum physics just for a minute, just not to really rattle you around, but just to, to if you want to go deeper into this, this is what you need to start studying. Start studying the crystalline tetrahedra, which is the smallest unit of reality. There's a new branch of science called the theory of everything. It's, it's quantum physics 101, well, not 101, it's quantum physics 401. So you won't find this in the first level of quantum physics. But I've given you on the right here some shapes that are really created by crystalline tetrahedra. So that will give you an idea of what it looks like. But the theory of everything, which is the overarching theory on science as a whole, which takes in relativity and quantum physics and string theory and everything, basically is this. It equals crystalline tetrahedra plus consciousness plus sacred geometry. And sacred geometry is the organizing of things. So for those of you lucky enough to have, uh, have the video on and, and have the picture in front of you, basically, when we look at the man's face that we see there, we see the man. But in fact, what the man is made up of, and it's like really weird, your body feels really weird even saying this, what you are made up of is that. You are just a bunch of pixels put together at the lowest common denominator. And that's the smallest unit of our perception of reality is this. So the world um, may look entirely different than what you think it does. And if you watch movies like Inception, and things like that. That's where they got the concept of the crystalline tetrahedra from. So I'm going to start wrapping this up into what this means for us at the moment in our lives right now. So it means that everything is relative. So here we have a cup of coffee and that's relative. So Based on the picture here, let's just do a quick exercise. Based on the picture here, let's go to the chat and 
Tell me, give me a number between one and 10 of how appealing this cup of coffee is to you, right? So just go to the chat and just type in number, how appealing is this cup of coffee? Ian wants coffee, it's a 10 for him, okay? We've got a seven for Philippe. It's not a Melbourne coffee, Philippe, right? Six for Philip, five for Luther, five for Kirsten. Okay, that's great. So Kirsten, can I ask you just to type in the chat why you put a five, a nine for Paula? Depends if it's a single origin for Steve. That's great. Lisa says an eight. So no, Luther says no cream. Okay, that's great. Kirsten, for you, what would you say? Oh, the type of cup, right, I see it, and no milk. Okay, this is great, right? So here's, this is how we see the world. This is our reality. And it's not right or wrong. Because I go, Luther, no cream. Mm, America's your place to live, my friend, right? No milk. Well, what about frothy milk, Kirsten, right? You know, it, milk on itself, I never drink, you know, if I have to drink coffee on an aeroplane, I drink black coffee. But if I go to a cafe and have a coffee, I have a cappuccino because I like the frothy milk, right? So your reality and my reality is incredibly different. Now, what's important here, and really that one of the reasons I wanted to do this session today, because as you know, in the way in which we do these, um, these webinars is that we have two guests during a month then we have Landy doing some business in a month. And then I have, I have myself doing something that's a little alternative or a little bit spiritual. And really the point of this is your reality is not wrong. It's very right. But you constantly have to have a, a stick or a judgment or a scale of which you put every decision in, in your life to see if it rates against your personal value system because in the end that is your reality so if i take this cup of coffee and i look at this from a personal value system point of view for philippe it's not from melbourne so he's not too sure about the quality of the coffee for luther no cream so not too sure about this probably wouldn't drink it for ian looks good needs a coffee hasn't had enough this morning so he's happy he's good to go Okay, so you have to weigh this. We have to have do the same thing for every person we meet, every potential client. Do we like them? Do we want them? Do we want to be in business with them? Every deal that's offered us, every time we make a major purchasing decision, a car, real estate, et cetera, et cetera, every time we put on a new staff member. And we have to remember that when we're dealing with people that their reality is entirely different. And you know, I was talking with somebody this, mor this morning who is a Circle of Excellence member and in the last couple of years, their business has gone up uh, probably $2 million in value. And they're actually asking me, should they retire? Because they think they've got more than enough money now. And so their reality is they have more than enough money. My reality is they're going to be bored, right? So... The end of the conversation came and I said, why don't you sell some down some of your shares in the company to one of your other partners and, and cash up a whole chunk of change and do less work in the company and not be bored. So you have to have these conversations to decide on your reality and whether the reality that you're going to have with other people is right. Um, for all of you coffee lovers, coffeemagazine.coza is your brother's publication. Good job, Steve. And if, if Dennis Giannoutsos was on the call, he would say Mondo Coffee in New Zealand and now in America is his brother's coffee company. So, so maybe you two should have a chat and introduce each other's brothers. Natasha says, milk or cream. I had an Americano in the UK after drinking mochas and lattes the entire time. My body's reaction was notable. Fascinating, right? Let's move on. So what is your perception? This is really the biggest question. And it was so great when I asked the question at the front of today's talk. And my question was, what is reality? And many of you put down reality is your perception of the world. And it's very, very true. Our reality is our perception. Think about it. You know, if you live in an apartment building like we do, um, you know, 
Right next door to us, there are people having entirely different lives. Right below us, there are people in the same building, same view, same outfit, possibly even the same age with entirely different lives. So reality is your perception, the way in which you see the world. Flow is your ability to be in joy. Then more you are in joy, the more that you will actually be able to manage time and slow down time in order for you to get more done or achieve more, understand more or strategize better or something like that. Let's go to any questions or comments from everybody on the group now just to bring this to a close. So uh, hang on, I'll just go to my big view here and I can see if anybody's uh, got a hand up or anything like that. Who would like to comment, uh, chip in or ask a question? Let's jump into that. For those of you listening, this is what's called dead air. Hi, Steve. Is it Steve I'm talking to? No, it's Luca. Hi, Luca. Hi, Mark. Important what you mentioned is just dotting down your feeling at the end of the day. That's quite important because we move up and down the spiral. But I think the biggest concern is moving below contentment because then you start moving in a downward spiral. As long as you are content, whatever you do not experience a lower feel than being contented, then you can only go up. As soon as you drop below contentment in a downward spiral, and that is dangerous. Very good comments. And, and what I think you're really saying here, I'm going to give it as a, an analogy. It's like, it's like putting on weight. You know, you, you look in the mirror. It's like Landy was saying to me the other day, you know, you haven't put on any weight. And I said, no, I've definitely put on three or four kgs in the last six months. And then yesterday I'm editing a video um, where I've got some footage from two years ago. I go, yep, I've definitely got three or four kgs on me than, than before. So, um, so from that, this, it creeps up on you. And so negativity can creep up on you as well, which is why you've always got to be in environments where you're surrounded by you know, positive, well-meaning people. It's why toxic relationships cost you so much in your life and, and you really have to cut them. So thanks for those comments uh, there, Luther. Uh, Philippe says, when we feel like crap, how do we return to a state of flow? That's a very, very good question. So the number one thing to do is to change your environment. And I'll give you a quick fix. It's not my quick fix, but I've tested it many times and it's absolutely 100% correct. My good friend Don Tolman told me, for those of you who don't know him, he's one of the world's leading authorities on natural healing and, and whole foods medicine. He told me that when you feel like crap, go for a walk. He said, it's impossible to walk and feel bad. And you know what? I thought, that's not true. But I tried it the next time I felt like crap. And it was right. I didn't feel bad while I was walking. So if you, and particularly if you've got some sunshine or something like that, sun really helps, of course, we're getting vitamin D. So that's a quick fix. That'll, that'll shift a mood. But then if you generally find that you are um, you know, feeling down uh, pretty much some, a lot of the time, you have to change your environment. That's the only way to do it. You have to change your work environment. You have to change your physical environment. You have to change what you listen to, who you allow in your environment, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the annoying mother-in-law joke. Um, so what was a joke I heard one time? It was, uh, what's, what's a definition of um, ambiguity? And they said, watching your mother-in-law drive off a cliff in your new Mercedes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm laughing at my own joke, right? But it, I thought it was quite funny. But to be quite honest, you know, we've got people in our lives, all of us, who bring a level of toxicity. And it's so funny that you have to shift state. Yesterday, Landy was getting one of her nails fixed. And here's the story. Kirsten knows it. And... Uh, her nail lady wasn't looking forward to um, her sister coming to visit because she said her sister was just not a cool person, very negative, et cetera, et cetera. So Landy uh, met the sister 
and uh, the sister went outside for a cigarette, right? And, you know, she was grumpy and all the things that the, the nail lady had told Landy. So in the boot of our car, we generally carry some lead magazines and we generally carry some books. So Landy went to the boot of the car and got out one of her books, the Book of Sacred Prescriptions, walked over to the lady and said, don't ask me any questions. I want to give you this gift. And she said that the lady literally unwrapped the plastic around it like it was a Christmas present. And then when she was finished her nail bar, she came out and she saw the lady sitting down outside in the sun reading the book, No Cigarette, and she knew it. she'd already shifted state. You know, so environment is the key to everything. Steve, I see your hand up. So uh, let's jump into your comment or question. Oh, sorry, Mark. I was just going to share, if it's okay, um, by audio. Um, but uh, in the in the sports context, what's quite interesting is that sort of the state of mind. So you got your positive upward cycle or your negative downward cycle. And often, what happens when when you're under pressure and you make a mistake, you start to think, and then you try and beat the pressure, and you kind of get into that downward spiral. And you have to again, you have to break that cycle by connecting with your teammates or doing something simple just to just to kind of take take that um, that overthinking out of the game. And on the flip side, when you find yourself in the positive cycle, you're actually not thinking at all. And that's that sort of, you know, um, that's being in the zone where where there's this that state of, you know, where you're not where you're not thinking about what you're doing. You, your body's just doing it because you've done it a thousand times before. And a lot of uh, when you see athletes um, when they're preparing for for events, they've actually played that game a thousand times in their Absolutely. in their brain beforehand. So that sort of you know visualization and kind of what goes on inside your brain um, to get yourself in the state to be able to perform at your optimum performance is really the key. Absolutely, and uh, you know I think people think that sports people are the only people that should do this, Steve. So it's a great comment. But I remember talking to Grant Fox, who was um, one of the probably, you know, top 100 All Blacks of all time. And uh, at the time, he held the world uh, kicking record uh, for most points. And I, I said to him, why do you hold the record? Why you? And he, he said he thinks it, it came down to the fact that, um, you know, after everybody left the training track, he would sit out there, he would put the ball down and he would just, he wouldn't kick the ball. He'd just go back and he would imagine that he was at Alice Park in South Africa and that he would imagine that he could see the whole crowd and he could hear them booing him and he could smell the fireworks that had been set off. He used all the five senses and he put himself right in that zone and every time he just imagined that ball going over goals. So, so when he got to Alice Park and people were booing him and, you know, firecrackers had got off, he just felt at home. So he had, you know, no preconceived things. So I think... People think visualization. Visualization is just one aspect of these five senses. Let's go to some more comments down here. Ian, I read recently uh, Stealing Fire, which talks about the superpowers we gain by shifting our state and reality. They discuss all sorts of things that can shift us from music, drugs, medication, etc. Yes, I read the same book some time uh, some time ago. I got a little bored with it, I must admit. But um, but yeah, it's it is about shifting reality, and I mean. You know, don't think that uh, the reason that the Beatles wrote those songs is because they're great musicians. It's because they were accessing different forms of reality at the time. That's for sure. Um, with your shoes off on grass, that's a great way to, to get grounded, Kirsten. Thank you for that. That's really good. Luther says, uh, warm shower followed by warm beverage creates a new perception. It can be that simple. And it's often that simple. It's just a change of environment. And it's literally that, especially I find myself giving this advice to um, psychics and energy workers all the time, particularly overweight ones. And I ask them, were you overweight when you started in this business? And they ultimately say no. They say, right, do you have a shower at the end of working a day working with clients? All the ones that are carrying weight say no. You just get them to take showers, wash the energy off. They take on people's energy. You know, you've got to be at a distance. Same for those of you who are coaching. Coaching, you're not taking on people's problems here. You're giving advice. It's a different thing. Paula, as competitive athlete, I can concur. When you're in a state of flow, nothing else matters. And it's almost like 
um, it's almost like you you lock in and and you can feel it locking in. You can feel that state of flow locking in. Um, I think I wrote about it in one of my books as a musician, one of the first times I really could tell. I had to play this really boring thing in the studio for, a, for an album we were recording. And it was literally just, um, actually, I don't normally drag out a guitar, but for this, I'll play it to you. It was literally, I had to play this. For two and a half minutes because that was what, one of the things that you'd never hear in a track. You never hear this in a track, but it sits behind the track. And I have to tell you that I messed it up. I don't normally mess up in recording, but I messed it up probably 20 times and then just because I couldn't keep the time. And then I finally, I clicked into flow and I felt it wouldn't have mattered if somebody had to kick me in the head, I wouldn't have gone out of time. I just knew it. And this is what I think you experience. This is sometimes I experience this from stage where I know I can just do anything with that audience. Ian, I see you nodding, right? You could do anything. You could get everybody up to, you know, do backflips or something like that. So I think we've got to explore this and we've got to explore when we feel like this. And we've got to try and set the, set the stage for us to feel like this more often. It can be when you're writing. It can be when you're on a sales call. It doesn't matter. Let me get into a few more comments here. Um, Ian, going for walks in my daily life is a game changer. Absolutely. Steve, five senses key in visualization. Cold water is a great way to change state. It really is a great way to change state. Not one I probably would. I'd like more water, but thanks for that one, Steve. Uh, Lisa, sit in the sun and stroke your cat with a good escapism fantasy book. I love that. Okay. I've got to get a cat. Um, right. Exercise. My fave is surfing, being in the cold ocean, the best. Right. So people have plans to, to get back in state. And this is very, very important. So um, let's, just, uh, let's just go to one more reality check before we round it off for the day. And our reality check for today is go to the chat and um, give this session your rating out of 10 in terms of how you felt about what you learned today. Don't worry, I, I can take the hits. It's all good. Okay, eight, 10, nine. We're stopping right there. That's good enough. Okay, 10.5. You guys are too gracious. So um, thank you. Great reminder. Yeah, well, that's what I tried to do is give you some great reminders, teach you some things new, and also get you focused on things that just aren't business orientated because our business is simply an extension of ourselves and ourselves are, are what's important and being in flow in our own way our own perceptions and realities is great. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being on the call. Next week, we have uh, Rashani. Rashani is an amazing um, well-being practitioner and spiritual teacher from Goa in India, um, who uh, I've known for many, many years now. Um, and so she's going to be on our call talking about some things you can do from well-being perspective and some ways in which you can also help your own clients from well-being perspective as well, because I think we all have a responsibility to do that, even though we may be in IT or you know business coaching. I think we have a responsibility to, to really help our clients at this time get back to a good homeostasis and get back into flow. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening today, and we'll catch you all later.